0: Paul and Barnabas have just finished their first big missionary trip together. It was rough. Paul was nearly stoned to death in Galatia, and he's still not quite healed. We left Paul in Antioch last week, writing an urgent letter to the communities of believers that he just established in Galatia. He's heard they're listening to Judaizers, who are believers but they are have a Jewish background and they are insisting that to be true Jesus followers, the new believers must also be circumcised and following the law of Moses. These these Judaizers seem to seem to be kind of making the rounds from coming from Jerusalem and Judea and making the rounds to all these new churches. So Paul reminds the churches in in Galatia that God has already loved them and given them his Holy Spirit without them doing anything to earn it or deserve it. They simply need to have faith that this is true and draw nearer and nearer to God. He warns them not to listen to teachers who try to draw barriers around God to define who is in and who is out. He pulls out every argument and example he can think of to try to get the Galatians to understand how important and foundational this is. He says, okay, here's an example. If you have a legal contract with someone, you can't just ignore it Or add to it willy-nilly later. The legal contract, a.k.a. the covenant with Abraham, is unchangeable, just like that. Which is okay so far. We totally get that. But now Paul launches into a very rabbi-like argument. Let's see if we can follow him. He says, When God spoke to Abraham, he did not say, the covenant was for his descendants. He said it was for his descendant, singular. And Paul is absolutely right. And here's what he's saying. In Hebrew, the root word in the word covenant is zera, which literally means seed. And just like in English, you can put different endings on Hebrew words to make them plural. Now, remember, Hebrew reads from right to left. The plural ending in Hebrew is im, So the plural of Zerah would be Zerachim. And if you are talking about a single descendant, the singular ending of the root Zerah would be Zarakah. It is not unusual in Hebrew to use the word seed as a collective noun to refer to descendants. But what Paul has noticed is that it is sometimes used in its plural form, Zerakim, and sometimes in the singular form, zeraqah. So why does it matter? Well, Paul says it matters because what he now realizes is that when God promised the blessings of Abraham to his descendant, zeraqah, the singular form of the word, God was talking about Christ, the Messiah. Paul says, the promise of grace, the covenant with Abraham, came first long before the law. The law, which came later, didn't do away with the original promise, the covenant. Instead, the law was given because of our arrogant overstepping, because of our waywardness. The Greek word here is usually translated as transgressions. Paul writes, we were put into protective custody under the law to be kept safe until Christ came to reveal the faith that would make us just, the faith that makes us righteous. The law was our guardian, but now that faith has come, we don't need a guardian anymore. In Christ Jesus, through your faith, you are all children of God. Through your baptism into Christ, you have clothed yourself with Christ. It doesn't matter anymore whether you are a circumcised Jew or a Gentile, whether you are a slave or free, and it doesn't matter what your gender is because you are all, each and every one in Christ Jesus, if you belong to Christ, then you are a descendant of Abraham and a true heir of the original promise. What I'm trying to say is that an underage heir is really no different than a slave. He's got guardians and stewards managing him. We were like that before God sent his son, a son born under the law, to take us completely out of the law, to redeem us so we could be divinely adopted as sons. I want to take note of two particular things here. First, the word translated as redeemed means to take something completely out. In this case, taking us completely out from under the law. This is exactly what Jesus meant when he taught in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, unlike the law. Come to me and I will give you rest. For I am gentle and not arrogant in heart. This is what Jesus consistently taught the people, that God was not about the rules. This relieving us of the burden of the law laid on the people by the religious leaders, this redemption was available during Jesus' lifetime. This teaching, at least in Jesus' mouth, was not about heaven and hell after death, but about finding a generous God now in life without being oppressed by arrogant religious gatekeepers. The second thing I want to point out is that we are not just adopted. We are divinely adopted. That word is often dropped from translations. It's implied, of course, in the English, but it is explicitly stated in the original Greek. We were divinely adopted. Paul continues, because we are his heirs, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who screams urgently, Papa, Father. This is so beautiful. It is the cry of a newborn experiencing separation, hunger, pain, or need. It is the cry of a beloved child. It is a cry that evokes an immediate response in the parent. The Holy Spirit that is in our hearts is this spirit of Jesus. Paul takes a breath here. This is pretty emotional. I actually think he takes a break and then comes back later to finish his letter. He says, you didn't know God before, but now that you know God, and even more so, are known by God, how can you go back to other things that are not God? You're following those other traditions and festivals. Has my time with you been a complete waste? Please, please become like me, just as I became like you. Remember how I first preached the good news to you when I was weak and suffering? I figure that must have been while he was recovering from being stoned there in Galatia. Paul says, you didn't treat me like a burden then. You welcomed me. You would have done anything for me. So am I now your enemy just because I'm telling you the truth? These new teachers do not have your best interests at heart. They're just trying to collect followers for themselves. I am in the pain of childbirth once again for you, in labor until Christ is formed within you. Oh, how I wish I could be with you so I could understand what's going on with you. Paul switches gears again right here. He's going to make another argument from Scripture. Those of you who want to be subject to the law, don't you even know what the law itself says? Remember that it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by Hagar, the slave woman, and one by Sarah, his wife. It was only the one by Sarah that was the one promised by God. Now, if you remember the story, the son uh, by Hagar was born because of Abraham and Sarah trying to help God fulfill his promise. Uh, The son of the slave, Hagar, was born because of their lack of faith. Paul continues, the two mothers represent two different covenants. Hagar, the slave, represents the law and the slavery uh, the city of Jerusalem is currently suffering. Now, Paul is writing this around 48 Common Era, and we know from the historian Josephus and others who lived and wrote during this time that um, the Romans uh, there in Jerusalem were ruthlessly crushing Jewish riots and increasing unrest in the city. And the people in Galatia are well aware of this suffering. Paul continues Sarah the wife represents the Jerusalem above a spiritual Jerusalem which is free you are like Sarah's son Isaac you are children of the promise not the law scripture tells us that the son of the slave woman persecuted the son of the promise the son born to a 90-year-old woman by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what's happening now. Believers are being persecuted by people still wanting to be under the law. Paul's obviously talking about the Judaizers who are troubling the Galatians. So, Paul says, what do we do about it? Well, Scripture tells us that Sarah demanded that Abraham banished Hagar and her son so the son could never share in Isaac's inheritance. (laughs) I think Paul is pretty pointedly telling the Galatians to throw those Judaizers out. He says, you are not children of the slave woman. You are children of the free woman. Jesus meant for us to be free. So stand firm. Do not let anyone put the yoke of slavery back on you. I'm telling you, if you let yourselves be circumcised, then Christ won't do you any good at all. You'll have to obey the whole law. And if you're trying to become just or righteous through the law, then you have made Christ useless. As far as grace is concerned, you have withered away, gone off course, become fruitless it is not through the law but through the spirit by faith that we wait with such eagerness and hope for righteousness justice in Christ Jesus it doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or not the only thing that matters is faith faith at work through love You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to make you falter in the truth? That's not from God. No, I am sure you will choose rightly. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But don't abuse that freedom by indulging yourselves. No, use it to serve each other in humility. Notice how much Paul sounds like Jesus here. This is how Jesus taught us to live as disciples. Paul continues, Remember that the entire law is made complete in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not bring to completion the impulses of the flesh for the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and vice versa so don't just do whatever you want now here paul may have a group called the cynics in mind they are not believers this is a more of a hellenistic philosophy this is a philosophy they were a movement during this time that were sort of they're sort of contrarians they could they critique society by disobeying societal norms like defecating in public and having sexual relations wherever and whenever they wanted. Paul says, The acts of the flesh are obvious, aren't they? Hornea with sexual immorality, uncleanness, spiteful willfulness and disregard, idolatry, drugs, hostility, Strife, jealousy, rage, selfish ambition, separating into factions, pushing the interests of your own faction at the expense of others. Spitefulness, grudges, excessive drinking, debauchery, You get the idea. If you live like this, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. I want to point out here how these things are a family of characteristics. If we find two or three of these in someone, we are likely to find many of the others as well. Paul is painting an impression here. Don't get hung up on one item on the list. He's throwing these out as obvious examples of how people act if they're not walking in the spirit. Falling into one of these does not mean you are a bad person and are going to hell. That's not what's in view here. Paul is saying that this family of characteristics, they're they're called vices in um, scholarly terms, the vices. These vices are not a picture of how things are in God's kingdom, are they? I mean, you can just look at this list and say, that's not the kingdom of God. When the spirit of God is operating, it is operating against these kinds of things, not generating them. And Paul has a similar word picture of the things you do tend to find when people are walking by the spirit. He says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, a sort of inherent goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-restraint. There's no law against these things like there is against the acts of the flesh. That's what I mean, Paul says, when I say, if you are in Christ Jesus, you have crucified the flesh with all its sufferings and afflictions and uncontrollable desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's walk like it. I want to take a moment here to point out that these characteristics of a life lived by walking with the Spirit are also a family of characteristics. Where you find one, you usually find the others. So don't worry if you don't see all of these in your life yet. We are like plants. We grow into this by staying close to the one who nurtures nurtures us. This particular passage, um, these, these two comparative lists, vices and virtues, are what they're called. This passage itself saved my life. in in very real ways, because I was able to read the two lists and take it as a whole. It was pretty easy to see which list I fell into. So let this give you peace. Let Let this let you know you're doing fine. You're doing great. Paul says, so what do we do if someone among us slips up if they fall, if they miss the mark. Paul says, mend them with a spirit of gentleness, being mindful of yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, I don't think Paul means we need to be careful we don't fall into whatever ditch they've fallen into. I think Paul means we need to be sure We are in a mind space of gentleness and meekness, lest we think ourselves better than them. Don't think of ourselves as better than the person we're trying to help. Paul says, carry each other's burdens. We think of this as helping each other out. But the Greek has a lot of other potential meanings. It can mean to pick up, to tolerate each other's weight. It can mean authority, burdens. It can mean putting up with someone who tends to be overbearing and respecting their position anyway. Or, of course, helping them with the workload. Paul says, if someone is bigger than their britches, to use an English idiom, they're really only fooling themselves, right? So let each person test his own work without comparing themselves to anyone else. I think in our modern language, we might say everyone should stay in their own lane when it comes to judgment. We can help each other, but each of us, Paul says, must deal with our own baggage. This is an important teaching that tends to get lost in translation to English. Usually, the part about carrying each other's burdens and this last part about letting folks deal with their own baggage, usually both words are translated as burdens. And that makes it so confusing because it looks like in the first instance, Paul is saying, pick up and help with each other's burdens. And in the last instance, that, oh no, never mind. Each person must deal with their own burdens. But that's not what he's saying. They're two different Greek words. The first one means weight, authority, or burden. While the last one means something more like freight, uh, which is why I, with an F, freight, which is why I translate it as baggage, since that kind of captures our modern sense of the phrase. We deal with our own baggage. We help each other with their burdens. So we we need to respect each other, support each other, and at the same time, not judge each other, but look to dealing with our own baggage. And in the next breath, Paul says, don't be stingy with what you learn as you do this. Share what you learn. Don't go off course. God will not be sneered at. You will reap what you sow. If you sow according to the flesh from the flesh, you will reap decay. Just one follows another. And if you sow according to the spirit, you will reap life, eternal life for all ages. So don't get tired of doing good, honorable, noble things. For if we do not give up, we will reap a harvest. So whenever you can, work towards the good of all, especially those within this family of believers. Now look at what large letters I've written with my own hand. In closing, let me just say, those people who are trying to convince you to be circumcised are just trying to impress other people and they want to avoid persecution if we don't, if we believers don't seem Jewish enough. Now, remember, this is kind of a historical thing you have to remember that as long as they were peaceful, the Jews enjoyed relative religious freedom under Roman rule. And the Judaizers are really worried that if the believers don't look Jewish enough, the Romans will force them into Roman religions such as emperor worship. They'll lose that protection under the Jewish umbrella. That's why it was such a big deal to the Judaizers, or one of the reasons it was such a big deal to the Judaizers. Paul says, those Judaizers don't even keep the law themselves. They just want to boast that they've made you get circumcised. May I never boast about any such thing. May I only boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which I have been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. I think Paul is saying that through Christ, he no longer cares what other people think of him. Paul continues, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision make any difference all that matters is a new creation. Peace and mercy be upon all who walk in this way and upon the Israel of God. From now on, straighten up and fly right and don't give me any more grief because I bear the very marks of Jesus upon my body. I think Paul's referring to the thorn in the flesh, the the effects from his stoning that have, have not healed properly and they never actually do. And he takes it very personally that the Galatians are wanting to follow these Judaizers, these other teachers, when it ought to be so clear to them that those teachers are false and leave, leading them back into slavery to the law. Paul has said all he can say it's now up to the Galatians. He closes his letter saying, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And so ends Paul's letter to the Galatians and our study of Paul's first missionary journey. There is so much depth in Galatians. We barely scratched the surface here, and there is a part back in Galatians three I'd like to go back and look at in our breakout groups. That part about the seeds. All right, did you get very far? What did y'all think?
1: <laughs> wow!
2: <laughs> First one was easy. Pardon? Which one falls right?
0: because <laughs> we were all taught that way I know that Christians make a big deal out of you know how uh, about out of this this argument of Paul's But we had a question who is
2: the serpent's descendant
0: yeah good question right
1: yeah if we're, yeah. If we're going to say that Jesus is Eve's descendant then Who's the serpent's descendant? Good question.
0: Uh, would, you didn't
3: come up with the right,
0: right
1: answer. answer you did. did.
0: <laughs> oh, I, don't, I don't think there is a, a, a right or wrong answer in this. And and remember how I explained last week about how the rabbis would argue back and forth and they would about things like this and they would record the argument and they would record the points on both sides and then they just leave it? <laughs> That's what this is like. I wanted, I want you to understand that when (laughs) Christians say the things that we say about Jesus and the covenant, I want you to understand where it's coming from and what the basis is. Gotcha.
4: Well, Woody, if you don't mind volunteering you, Woody had a very interesting um, take on this. Okay
5: well um and I, and I had to apologize to my group for viewing this with my lawyer brain but no. i could i could imagine paul um trying to figure out you know how, how do I come up with a counter argument to these jude judy what what's the Judaizers. word? <laughs> Judaizers um and then he says oh oh yeah this this is this is used as singular that must be referring to Jesus Christ that's what I that's the th- that's my counter argument that's and right. it's like uh, so I think that it was a, a very clever argument to uh, uh, to convince the believers not to pay attention to the Judaizers they don't have to obey the law uh, Jesus Christ has freed us from the law um, but it seems like and these were I think Joe's Words were it's splitting hairs, yeah,
0: yeah, and and I tell you what, I wonder now, you know, listening to you, if if I'm thinking that the Galatians by and large are like all of us, and they're like, whatever Paul says sounds good, what he was talking about through the whole <laughs> lesson that sounds good, and it resonates with the Holy Spirit. I don't think they're into the Hebrew parsing of the you know, of the noun. I think I think as you point out, I but I think perhaps Paul is giving them this argument and saying, here, here's ammunition to use with the Judaizers. Because they're thinking along those other lines.
5: And and to convince the believers not to listen to the Judaizers. Yes. Not to not to believe what they are saying.
0: Right, like there's this equal argument on the other side, right? Right, right. and that's you
4: know, how that phrase to us was just clever wording for clever um counter, you know, response. And and basically, it, it just makes us. I mean, look at how we're debating this. So, I mean, that's that's a positive thing to get your descendants discussing, are you a descendant and am I discussing?
6: <laughs> <laughs> we, we were, we were, um, at least I think general consensus, at least this was my takeaway. Um, having issue with the strength of his argument in terms of the meaning, you know, the plural versus singular interpretation of the word seed. Um, because these references that you put in from Genesis, from the promise made to Abraham, it definitely seems that, that Abraham is being promised a plural seed. Your descendant will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Um, That's not a singular promise. Um, And that the argument that at least landed more, more, Influentially, with me was the argument that if you uh, go ahead and get circumcised the way the Judaizers are saying you have to, you are then bound to the entire law. You are, in essence, taking on the burden of the law. When Jesus came and his teachings free followers from the law so if you take that one step you know this is like the counter argument to the slippery slope i think if you take one step towards following the law you are then bound by the law and what you need to do is resist from step one and say no that is no longer required because jesus came and said we are not bound by the law
4: that kind of goes back to woody's clever wording for a clever counter, counter argument. argument
0: right now mm-hmm. and, see you have something
7: you know from the beginning when you when you stressed the word singular it made me wonder if this is the beginning of the faction factionalized times between the muslims who were coming up the Jews, and the Christians. And I think that because the minute you say that his heir, his true heir, meaning Isaac, whereas Ishmael is not the true heir. heir. And we know that Ishmael went on to have 12 sons who were all princes. And so that faction was growing in power. And I'm wondering if Paul said... And the Jews followed the the lineage of Abraham also. But I think that what Paul was referring to is Jews who do not recognize Christ as the the one are as incorrect as the followers of Ishmael. And so then I started getting all like, oh, is this where we started pointing fingers at each other going, you're wrong and you're wrong. We're the only true believers.
0: That is such a great point. Mm-hmm. Such and a we're group. still doing it what has been the fruit of that
6: war and war and war and hatred and murder mm-hmm.
2: persecution
0: so, so, and what's going so, on in the Israel areas right now right yeah. now right now And so if we pull the string from that fruit, like Anne has done and rolled it back up and said, oh, we must have gotten something wrong here when we Mm -hmm. interpreted it like that. Mm -hmm. Because the fruit of the spirit is not strife, division, jealousies, hatred. It is not.
2: You know, we went another direction, too. And you guys might have talked about this when I had to step away. Um, if so, I apologize. But we were trying to determine when Paul was writing this. We also discussed a little bit and didn't get completely into it about how his writing style, was he dictating to a scribe? Was there some lost in conversion interpretation there and also I was always taught as were many of the others this is the inspired work of God this is you know he's having these thoughts he's but then again he's also probably mad as heck at this news he got (laughs) and he's trying to make a message is he stopping is he proofing is he going back and checking or is he just going on. Sorry, I gotta step away again. Okay.
0: Well oh, gosh, I hate that she didn't get to hear the answer to her own question. <laughs> Maybe we we should should talk about it for a bit.
8: I I one thought that I had because I never understood the whole Adam, Eve, the snake, or whatever he was. Um, And the Garden of Eden, that whole little story chunk didn't make sense to me as to why they even included it in the Bible. Mm. You know, what it was that it was trying to say to us that they left it in the Bible. Well, it makes sense if they were t- and whole situation was referring to Jesus. Mm, I see. To me. And I so see. I but then, you know, like we got to talking about splitting hairs and stuff like that. So I'm just trying to figure out
6: <laughs> So what you're saying is that when yeah. they when when that was included, whether that was included um way back before you know the the Christian Church canonized the Scriptures that that was included specifically because they felt appointed to Jesus. They were following Paul's teaching, but I'm assuming that that was also included in the Hebrew Bible long before Paul came along and before the 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 Christian Church it was decided to adopt the Hebrew Bible as part of the Scripture canon for. Christians. Yes. Yes. So they would not have, have said, Oh yes, that's Jesus.
0: Right. The Jews certainly wouldn't have when they put together their Hebrew Bible, which we then adopted, but then, Um, and, and, and I think that we ended up adopting it as our own because we grew out of Judaism. It was our scripture from in our DNA from the beginning. We, we are, we are an offshoot of Judaism. Um, and, and, uh, and I think that Paul's writing goes back and is looking back at this a whole body of hebrew scripture with the lens of jesus on it and saying you know if jesus really is the messiah if what jesus said is true we should see it in scripture we should see it in the hebrew bible and isn't so that similar
5: going... i'm sorry isn't that similar to i think it was in the uh, gospel of matthew where he tries to show how all of these things were prophesied, you know, in the in the Hebrew Bible.
0: Yes, yes, exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. They all these writers are going back and saying. That's what God was talking about back then. Well, if you go back and read it in context, that wasn't what God was talking about back then. God was talking, or at least the prophets thought when they were doing the prophecies, Isaiah and Jeremiah and whatever, they thought they were talking about the situation between Israel, Judah, Assyria, Egypt, Babylon. All right, they're they're all talking about the kings going running absolutely amok <laughs> and and the priests leading all the people astray actively and how unhappy God is with that. And then but the Holy Spirit just kind of worms its way into all of that and there's these flashes of end time prophecy in running as this bright shining thread throughout the Hebrew scripture that says but God is going to come and make this right. Israel and Judah are going to turn to their God. And God is always going to defend Israel and in a very physical kind of way. And, um, and there will be, God will reign. The kingdom of God will come and there will be peace, Pe- deeper peace than we've ever had. And everyone will know the Lord from the bottom to the top. So Paul is doing what everybody else is doing. It's a very natural thing, right? For a Jew who has become a believer. Do I think it's inspired? Of course it's inspired. (laughs) The whole scripture is inspired. It can't help but be inspired, folks, because we're inspired. The Holy Spirit lives in us. The Holy Spirit works through us. Every day, in every way, through creation, through the Bible, through each other. It's all, and so we are all live and move and breathe and have our being in God, in Christ, in the Spirit. Do I think Paul is sitting there taking dictation? No, I do not. Mm-hmm. That's my personal opinion. You get to think whatever you want to think. But I do happen to I... know that... To answer Julia's question that Paul used what they call a menu, I think they were called a menuesis or something like that, so that's close to what the word is. but they are like letter writers okay and and uh, of the day, and you would hire somebody and he would just talk to them and they would write the write it out. Um, and then it sounds like in Galatians that Paul added some the little blessing probably himself and said, Oh my gosh, my handwriting is so bad compared to this other guys. (laughs) (laughs) And and he said, but, but I just want to say to you, grace and peace. Um, And, and um, so, and we do know that as these copies of copies of copies get made, we have zero, zero, originals from the Hebrew Bible or the New Testament, none. We know that the as the copies of the copies of the copies were made, that not only did the, the amanuensis, the person who was originally taken often, you know, kind of smooth out the grammar, right? Put out, put in, Put things in. They write in a style, but we also know that, the scribes in the monasteries or wherever who copied these over and over and over by hand also made what they considered to be corrections. And I've pointed those out to you in, in various classes. So what's inspired is the message. Right. Okay. Well said. So,
4: How then do we rectify the specificity in the Old Testament to Abram and his descendants, Isaac and his descendants? I mean, because they were specifically named. And I think that that is the cause of a lot of this. You are, you're not. How do we rectify the specificity?
0: Wonderful question. In the class, in this class, do you remember? Paul said, "Right, we stay in our own lanes. We help each other, and we don't judge the other person. We deal with our baggage. We don't worry about theirs. We help them where we can help
1: them. I, also I don't see comment- where you find
0: the inquisition in any of that. <laughs> Sorry, Stephen. <laughs>
1: no, it's good." Um- I also kind of wonder like just how hastefully he's writing this because like you get near the end of the book and, or near the end of the letter and he's like how I wish I could be with you so that I can change my tone because I want to know why, mm-hmm. you know, like explain to me. I, I I don't understand because we had this worked out, you know, and, and like he's writing this in haste. So maybe maybe some of the things that he's saying about the seed and stuff, he he's like, oh yeah, that was in singular form. And so I'm writing it down but didn't really do a lot of necessarily like theology on it, right. you know? And just put it in there as like this is a way that you can see without I don't know. Because <laughs> C- then it's like, look at the big letters I'm trying to mm-hmm. I- I'm trying to get you to get this. <laughs> but <laughs> I want you, but I wanna be there because I feel like I'm talking in such a tone that or, or I'm writing to you in such a tone that's just like unnecessary because I wanna I want to like guide you through this, but the only way that I got is to write this. Yeah, that's beautiful, Stephen. Julia.
2: Well, this goes back to something you just said about the, we don't have the original letters. We have the copies of the copies of the copies. And they don't have modern day court reporters with recorders and stenography machines where they get everything exact. And I know if I were to be the scribe, and somebody's talking fast, you might use a smaller word than a bigger word to get it all down. And this made me think about something. I'm in Facebook groups about um, Bible journaling and art in your Bibles. And one of the things that recently came to my attention is people were talking about how do you write your Bible out by hand? And they were giving each other ideas And things, and I never thought of, you know, transcribing my Bible myself. It's not on my bucket list, but apparently it is for many people. And one of the things that people kept saying was, well, I don't write it word for word. I summarize. And I think when their descendants find these notes and notebooks, how is that going to then change their view of the scriptures that they read. Mm -hmm. Because we have this version, that version, this version, that version. But we have people at home that are doing this very same thing. And they're using their inspiration and their understandings and and what falls upon them at that time.
0: And And remember that these letters... We're not to a church in Galatia. It, the, the letter was meant to be a round robin letter that's passed from hand to hand, from church to church, carried around. You think somebody didn't make a copy of it? We probably have Mary Myrick's copy of Galatians.
5: <laughs> <laughs> and, and we've all played the telephone game.
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh if, yeah. If I may, one of the things that I said in our group was, when we were talking about splitting hairs, is that descendant and descendants can be like seeds that you can have one word that is a representative of a collective of a whole. And so I think that focusing on the plural S is not the same as looking at the four message. We've zoomed down into the soil and we're looking at one little seed that's buried an inch under the soil to try to derive all of the meaning, and I, yeah,
0: I think that we lost the the view, yeah, so what? trying to I wanted you all to know how tiny of a hook Paul mm-hmm. hung this theology on mm-hmm. surely been ruminating the whole time Sorry.
3: <laughs> well i I'm in a totally different vein here, I'm thinking about people that I know. Who have the Bible is inspired word for word came from God, and I've asked the question to various people um how do you justify the fact that it's translated into different languages and different words have different meanings, and what you have now is not word for word inspired from God mm-hmm. And there are a lot of Christians who still think that what they have in their Bible is word for word. That the person who wrote it was transcribing what the Holy Spirit was telling them to write. I
0: know. Can't you read plain English? Mm-hmm. And
3: <laughs>
0: it, it just boggles my mind because that's
3: wanna... kind of what Paul was talking about. You're getting bogged down in. Laws in, in things that aren't important and losing the big picture. Yes. Yeah, yes. And the big picture is Christ.
0: Yes. And, point, and Christ always pointed people to God. The big picture is God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The big picture is God. Yeah. Jesus always pointed to God. He always handed it over to God. Don't call me good. Only God is good. That, that just there's just no um I I want to make it clear I do think the Bible is the inspired word of God. I do think Jesus mm-hmm. is the word with a capital W. I just know that the English version I'm reading how it came to be. Okay. I do think God, and I do think God inspired all these writers. Do I think they made mistakes? Well, yeah.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: I can see them. Mm-hmm. I, think, yeah, I think. I think. I. Oh, go
6: ahead, Stephen.
1: I think I heard one time that uh, in the Hebrew Bible, there's something like a little, a little over three thousand original words. In, in the Hebrew Bible. Hmm. And for the translation of those words, there's over 300,000 English words.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Wow. And yeah. that's, that's certainly why a lot of times in the classes, I'm, I'm all the time, I'm going back, I'm looking at the original language. I'm looking at the flavors. I'm trying to get a sense overall of, of what that word conveys.
5: And and I love the way that you go back and say, well, this, this is the Greek word, but it can mean this, or it can mean this, or it can mean this. And
0: That's know, important to is, know.
5: Yeah, all we have is the context to try to guess at which one was meant.
0: And I think these English translations, they have great guesses in them. These committees, these scholars who do these things know tons more than I do but I also know they are bound by tradition Mm -hmm. that they don't choose some of the alternative meanings because it is not traditional. That's fact. Mm -hmm. And so when I read it, because I'm not on a committee with a political funding or with all kind of blowback that would happen, um, I'm. I'm not bound by that. I can look at the entire breadth of the meanings, bring them to you. We can think about that and think about how might that make this message make more sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of I, the
6: things that I keep going back to um, in this whole discussion, wherever I have heard it or participated in it, about the the um, the text of the Bible and, and how how accurate or not accurate is the wording. Um, because my parents were missionaries with Wickliffe Bible translators. And we lived in a community where the language of the people had never been written down. Mm. And um and my parents were translating into a language and culture that had no understanding of ancient Hebrew tradition, of early church understanding, any of that. And in order to make the the scripture that they translated resonate with the people and get the message across to the people, It had to be contextualized. To their context. Yes, to their context, to their understanding, using words and imagery that they would go, oh, yes, I understand that. Um, Part of that was sort of exploring what do these words mean in the language? Do they, does this word- but do they convey? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does it coincide with the message that, that we're trying to do? Right down to the the word God. What word was chosen to represent God? Now, um, there are those who would argue that what they were doing was wonderful and great and, and a gift from God to the people. There are others who I have actually been in conversation with whose argument was that They were in error in doing this and would be misleading the people because they were not translating, they were not giving them the King James version of the Bible and expecting them to understand. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you look at just you know that single example and you think about all the translations and all the time and all the versions and paraphrases, et cetera, et cetera, that we now consider the Bible. Um it's, it seems foolish to start niggling over a word, a mm-hmm. phrase, a reference. And as Gail said before, what's important, what's inspired is the overarching message, not right. pulling out a verse, pulling out a word and hanging theology, you know, massive theology on that.
3: I have a- oh, that reminds me of a story I heard from uh, New Tribes mission of a translation that they were writing for a group of people who their word for soul, you know, like we we use the word heart, and what we're really talking about is your innermost being, your soul. Well, they use the word stomach. Mm-hmm. And so where we put, believe in the Lord with all your heart, they would have to say, believe in the Lord with all your stomach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's with your gut, believe
0: in the Lord with your gut. Yeah,
3: exactly. And it's a, it's a simple concept for us now, but for the translators and stuff, that is not such a simple concept and having opposition from people who do things like what Marlene was just talking about saying, oh, it's got to be this version. Oh, my gosh. It just mm-hmm. blows my mind. <laughs> it reminds me of a very simple example that I remember from when my kids were watching Sesame Street. And on Sesame Street, they were talking about how words can have different meanings in different cultures. And it said, the little girl is talking. And she said, what if you were in a culture where the word chicken meant heart. Instead of saying, I love you with all my heart, you would say, I love you with all my chicken. (laughs) And we think it's silly, but it's a really good example of exactly what Marlene was saying.
4: Mm -hmm. I love
5: Marlene's Marlene's use of the word resonate Mm -hmm. because it seems to me that Paul, excuse me, not only Paul, but really all of the early church leaders had to convey a message that they felt would resonate with the people they were talking to.
0: Yes. This was a
5: church that they were trying to grow. And uh, they were talking to Jews and Gentiles and different cultures, and uh, it, it mm-hmm. had to resonate with them to, for, to convince them. hmm
4: hmm I I'm sitting here thinking as we're talking about this too. Two um, two of my kids speak multiple languages, um, and like Anne is fluent in Spanish. And so one of the things that you yeah. learn because I all the time <laughs> is well, there's there's really not a word for that in English, but what it means is kind of like this, you know, mm-hmm. the overarching message and meaning, not the specific word. So. I, that just made me, you know, think of all the times my kids say, well, there's not really a word in English for this. There's not really a word in French for that. So, mm-hmm. well, yeah, same,
6: same, thing with Portuguese. same thing in Portuguese. Yeah, mm-hmm. Portuguese words that do not directly translate into English.
2: I think well, every, I, and it's, it's tone, like Stephen said, how maybe Paul might've wished he could have, known how his tone was going to be received because he was trying to understand and he thought this issue had been settled and they were missing the message. And my message is this, how are you not understanding this? And we're still niggling for Marlene's word over this other thing that I thought was already resolved, but Mm -hmm. tone can do a lot to convey the meaning of a word we don't have that it's how many people have gotten a misunderstanding over a text yeah,
8: <laughs> yeah. um ria she cracks me up because she's um asian language major so she i don't know how many different languages she knows but she'll watch um uh, like um she loves anime and she'll be watching an anime show and the English translation's at the bottom and the people are speaking the, the Japanese or whatever. And she's like, that that doesn't make any sense. That's not what the Japanese, you know? And, and she just, and I'd get such a kick out of it because she will just, she's sitting there watching it and enjoying it and then she'll just look at it and go, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it just doesn't make any sense to her. And, and uh, I think that's a lot of what happens with the different translations of the Bible, somebody else figured out, oh, this word this means way. up. And somebody else says, no, it means down. And yeah. they're totally opposite in different translations.
0: It's, but That, that doesn't that mean, way. that does not it doesn't mean, mean it's wrong. We have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Exactly. All right. It's it that we are not making this up in this Bible class. We are not making up theology. <laughs> we are not. <laughs> bill you know we are we are going back and looking in a very very responsible and disciplined way at the passage its context its language its history its geopolitical situation and we are looking at the possibilities making educated thoughts and discussions but what ha- when what i want to we need, we're out of time, and I want to um uh, thank you for a wonderful discussion, but I also want to tell you something about the lord's faithfulness and I want to remind you that when we started um, doing bible classes chronolo- that are that were positioned chronologically, you know we do separate series on different parts of the Bible. But when I'm telling the story, I'm telling it chronologically and I'm pulling in um, the bits from wherever they belong. I had never taught like that before. And I had never been taught like that before. And every class that I do is new to me in that way. And therefore, I don't know what's coming next. Every week I get the material. I do the research and I'm, but I'm, but, but I did not wait until I had done all the research, all the classes, all the series have a complete, you know, all the different series all put together, finished the end, covered every part of the Bible, I did not wait until that was all done. And the reason I did not have to wait was because I know that God is the same throughout it all. I know who God is. I know that it doesn't matter what part of the Bible you hand me, flip it open anywhere. The message from God is going to be the same. So anyway, I I want to, I want to, pardon Donna. You're saying I needed to hear that just so you know that. Oh, that's good. We, uh, we're going to stop there. Uh, That's the end of this class series. We get to start a new missionary journey next time. Um, uh, Paul's going to go on a second trip. And so we're going to do a class series on the second missionary journey of of Paul and it um and it will be full of adventure as you can imagine. We'll see you next week. <laughs> okay. right. Bye. Bye. Bye.
4: Thank
0: you.